sing? You sing? Well, good morning, church family. And our church family at home, good morning to you as well. And a very happy Mother's Day to you, all you moms and grandmas here. We're so grateful for you. And we pray that you've had a, you will have a very blessed and restful day. You know, mothers uniquely demonstrate the character of God to their families. And so we, want, we hope to honor moms today. Uh, we do have a gift for you in the form of this cute little succulent. You know, who doesn't love succulents? This is like the one plant I can't kill at my house. Uh, so we love succulents. Um, so feel free to pick up one of these moms and grandmas as you leave here today um, after the service. We also realize that Mother's Day can be a mixture of joy and sorrow as some of us have lost mothers or some of us are praying and hoping to one day be a mother and others maybe have lost children. And so we honor, we value you today. Please uh, avail yourself to a beautiful succulent as you leave as well. So happy Mother's Day to all. And moms, I have one more announcement for you. If you still, after today, need a little bit of a respite, come out uh, this Tuesday to our last mom's play date on May 11th from 10 o'clock to 11.30 in the morning. You can connect with other moms in the church and let your little ones run around together and wrestle here in the sanctuary, and you can relax for just a bit. So you can contact Dawn Garrett, our Director of Children's and Women's Ministry, for more information on that. And guys, we have not forgotten about you. There is a breakfast for you this Saturday, May 15th at 8 a.m. So this too is a time for you to come and connect with other guys in the church, build friendships. There's a thoughtful reflection that's prepared in the scripture for you. Just an encouraging time. So you know, feel free to bring your neighbors, your coworkers to that breakfast as well. Contact Joe, Pastor Joe, if you have any questions on the breakfast. And members, I want to encourage you, we have an annual meeting coming up May 23rd after the 1030 service. You know, this is a time where you can uh, engage and consider the ministry initiatives of our church. And uh, we've got a lot of cool stuff uh, in the budget and on the ballot this year, so we, we would love to see you all there uh, after the service on May 23rd. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We are grateful that you've come to check out a new church. And uh, just to help us, if you would, wouldn't mind grabbing a welcome card, you can find it in the, these two back kiosks in the corner of the sanctuary. And fill out just your name and your best contact. We'll follow up with you, see if you have any questions about the church or a particular ministry uh, area. area. So please avail yourself to that and drop it off at the information desk after the service. And I have one final announcement, and I can't believe I'm, it's here. VBS is here. We are preparing for an awesome program on June 14th to the 18th. You can register your kiddos today. We do have a, a, a little video to get you excited about that time. So here's the video. Come enjoy VBS at Providence Church from June 14th to the 18th. You can sign your kids up at providencechurch.us slash children. All right, it's here. So go to our website and register your kids, age four to up through the sixth grade. Let me ask these guys over here who are going to sing for us today. You guys excited for VBS? Yeah? You going to tell your mommies and daddies to sign you up? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay, sounds good. We'll be there. And uh, I have one final, I, I, I lied to you, I said I had one final, so there's, there's one last one, and it is uh, a wonderful one. You've probably noticed this fine gentleman to my right here. This is uh, our pastor, uh, worship pastor candidate, Jim Pavko. Um, we are, I, it's, it's a joy for me to introduce you to, to him. Uh, Jim has led corporate worship over a decade, and he's really been trained up by the churches he served. He's led worship alongside our senior pastor, Austin Shaw, in a young adult ministry at Grace Church. He served in church plants. Uh, he's just had a host of experiences, and God has clearly forged in him not only a skill to lead, but a love for leading worship among God's people. And so that, that comes, I think, with Jim's genuine love for God and for his church. And we sent out Jim's philosophy of worship uh, this week, and it really reads like a devotional. I just would love you to encourage you to look at that um, and to, to read that. So please be sure to introduce yourself to Jim and his wife, Sierra. They have two little ones, two cutie. Uh, just Josiah is four and Ella is two. So please make them feel welcome here this morning. And Jim, we just a very warm welcome to you and your family. And thanks for leading us, brother, and worship the Lord. Amen. And now, without further ado, I turn it over to our wonderful kiddos here to sing us a couple songs led by Mr. Kiesel. Thank you, brother.
Amen. That was awesome. And uh, we get the privilege of worshiping our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus. I'm thrilled to be with you, Providence Church. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship our Lord Jesus in song. Let's bless him today. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes singing bless the Worship His holy 
together with me. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Amen. As far as the east is from the west, so far, for those of us who are in Christ, has he removed our transgressions from among us. We're going to sing this new song, God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he gave his only son. And whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I'd love to lead us in a chorus. And as it becomes, uh, as you hear the melody, I'd love for you to join in and sing with me. Let's sing this together. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only son to save us, whoever believes in him. We'll live forever. The power of hell forever defeat. Now it is well. I'm walking in freedom for God so love. God so love the Sing this with me this morning. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy, come to the table satisfied taste of his goodness find what you're looking for for God so long for God so long the world that he gave us is one and only son to save us whoever believes in him will live
amazing love For God so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son to save For God so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son to save us Whoever believes in Him Providence family. I'd like to give a, another welcome to Jim Pavko and his wife Sierra. Uh, thank you for leading us in those songs this morning. And a special good morning also to all the moms here. Uh, would you all please join me as we worship in prayer this morning, as we bow our hearts and pray together. Father God, we are so thankful and grateful to, have, to be able to call on you to cast all our fears, our concerns, and our questions all to you, to share our victories and our praises with you, and to grow in confidence and a deeper relationship with you as we study about you and the salvation that is possible for us all through the perfect work of your son Jesus on the cross. This morning, Father, we are drawn to your word in Psalm 25, where it says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truths and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. We pray now, Father, that we will humble ourselves and walk worthy, that we will walk on the paths and in the ways that you teach us. Let us realize the great joy that comes from following you. Let us offer the best of ourselves as an, an example to others who see the peace and joy and contentment we have in you and find your way and your promises more desirable than the empty promises of this world. Let us as a church stand as an example of your goodness in these challenging times, and let us work to, together to evangelize, to share your, your name and your goodness with others in our community through how we act, how we manage these difficult times, and the overflow of our heart and our love for you. Father, at this time we pray for our church community. We pray for your hand of protection upon us, and we pray for safety and your wisdom as we make decisions, as we respond daily to the virus. We pray for vigilance and persistence and endurance as we continue to manage this virus. With the end of the school year so close, we ask for strength to finish the school year strong and for wisdom and rest this summer. 
and that administrators for planning for next year will also have wisdom and insights provided to you on how best to proceed. At this time also, Father, we pray specifically for our international student ministry and the work being done by Randy Nickel with the Navigators to reach international students. We praise you, Father, for the new believers who have accepted the gift of salvation possible through your son Jesus this academic year. We also pray at this time for our families, Father. We thank you for the gift and blessing of marriage and know that there are many families in our congregation that face challenges with their health, finances, or relationships. Please speak into these families, Father, and sustain them with the hope and peace that is found only in you and your word. We also pray for our Vacation Bible School and our children's ministry. We lift up our need for additional volunteers to be able to open more classrooms to you. And we also pray for enough volunteers to have a very successful Vacation Bible School this summer. Finally, Father, we pray for the Hooper family with the passing of Christy Hooper's mom. We pray that the peace and comfort beyond all understanding will be poured upon this family as they mourn and celebrate her life, her life, and that you will use this time for the gospel to go forth to all the members of their family. Finally, also, Father, we pray this morning for Pastor Shaw as he challenges us with, with today's lesson. We pray for his boldness and that the right words and the right message will reach us all and we can carry today's lesson with us throughout the upcoming week. We ask all this through the holy and blessed name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are able, please stand for the reading of the word. I'll be reading from the ESV. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who were provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock as it grew up, and it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who, hear, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes along and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. You may be seated.
Thank you, Trentus. You know, it's happened all my life being around preaching and now being a preacher myself where you will have the word go forth. And uh, while all the people hear, not all of them really hear. That after the sermon, so one will say, you know, that was the dullest thing I've ever heard in my life. I wish I could have that half hour back. And at the same time, another hearer will say, you know what, that was powerful. And I don't think my life will be the same. That Jesus penetrates the heart. And that's what he's getting at here is that there's different ways of hearing preaching. And that's happened, you know, also uh, in the gospel. If you've been following along, you'll notice that Jesus has come preaching. That's the means that God uses to draw people to himself. And while some, namely that group called the Pharisees, that they're hearing Jesus, but not really. That their hearts are hard. They stop at the point, say, well, maybe, you know, that's a little bit, bit interesting, but I don't really want to entrust myself to Jesus. That they're hearing, but they're not really hearing. Others, surprising people too hear Jesus differently. Remember a few weeks ago, that centurion, that man with real responsibility, he heard Jesus preaching and he responded. His heart became tender and he said, I'm not worthy of Jesus. And he honors Jesus. And then you remember last week, the woman of ill repute, right? She heard Jesus preaching about forgiveness. Who can forgive me? But it's Jesus. And she responds. You see, all kinds of people hear the message of Jesus, but only some of them really hear. You say, today's passage is really about how you listen to the proclamation of Jesus. It's how you listen to preaching. And whatever you make of this, as we're going to unpack it, I think it's clear, right, clear to every one of us in the room where Jesus wants us to be, right? In that category of the good soil, what he's going to do is he's going to compare every hearer to a different kind of earth, that the earths represent how you hear the message of Jesus. And what he says, I want every one of my true disciples to be those who respond to the preaching where it grows deep and that they live for the kingdom and really live for Jesus. And so this will press upon us. How do we listen to the proclamation of Jesus? Now, before we get into this, at a little bit uh, of a risky move here, I'm going to delve into some theology for the first part because here's what's happening. You're reading this. And your, your eyes, if they're like mine, they go right to the language of that which is choked out or withered away or the birds come down and snatch up the word of God. And your question becomes, it's one of the great questions really, can a person lose their salvation? Can someone be a genuine Christ follower one day and then the next day not be a Christ follower? This passage kind of lends itself to that discussion, so I hope to clarify it with a couple of very important truths. And again, this is an ongoing discussion. So we must understand before we get into this, again, hope to get rid of the distraction first, perseverance and assurance. What we call the perseverance of the saints and the assurance of salvation. So here's what's happened. Sometimes this is called the, the lordship salvation debate. Very intriguing debate. So what's happened on the American scene in particular that in the 20th century, we had a lot of great revivalists. And I don't want to be too harsh on the revivalist because I named my son Graham after my favorite revivalist, one of the great preacher, Billy Graham. But what happened is that these revivalists would draw massive crowds and they'd preach a message and the people would hear the message differently. And they'd say, you know, if you come down front and you tick the box on the card and you repeat the prayer after the preacher, you're a Christian. Now, some people 
depending on the receptivity of their hearts, really did become followers of Jesus. I know there are some in our congregation, dear friend, I have many dear friends who are genuinely converted at that moment. But I also know a lot of people who came down, said the prayer, and they stopped short of real discipleship. It's as if to say being a Christian is just kind of, you know, responding one off and then you can plow through life uh, without ever giving it any other further thought. You just kind of do your own thing uh, because you uh, at some point in the past responded in, in that kind of a way. And so what's happened in this, these kinds of circles is that the preachers can give a, a false assurance, right? That they can say, well, you're, you're really a Christian without pressing into the fact that there is a real calling upon your life. That's one extreme here, right? The, the easy believism, we could call it. On the other hand, equally as dangerous is when the preacher will work up such anxiety uh, in the hearts of the people that it's really up to them in order to stay with God and to persevere. In other words, that they have to keep working at it. I have in mind here something like a pre-converted Martin Luther, right? If you know the story, he's very worked up, very anxious because he's been taught that he's got to earn his way to God and every little thing that he, he did wrong was gonna create a great crisis. So on the one hand, you've got those peddling a false assurance to those who've never really been committed to Christ. On the other hand, you have those who are peddling a works-oriented theology so the people are anxious and that they learn how to manipulate the people with that kind of language. What we must see is that the scriptural uh, center uh, talks about both of these things in a way that I think will make sense and give God's people real comfort. So here it is. Do we believe in the perseverance of the saints? That once a person is saved, that they really are saved. You can't lose your salvation. Well, of course we do. Why? Because this is anchored in the very character of God. That none of us, you talk to somebody who's a Christian, you say, well, how'd you become a Christian? Because you were smarter than the others and you made all the right choices? You say, no, a Christian says, no, I've been redeemed by Christ. That I was six feet under the earth, that God quickened my heart. He raised me from the dead. It's all of him and none of me, right? That we say the perseverance of the saints then is still the work of God in his people, that he will keep us. That God doesn't lose his children. He doesn't say, oh, I you know, lost track of one of my elect. No, what he's saying is I hold you as my child in the palm of my hand. No one can take you away if you're really at my, in, in me, that, then I will see you through to the end. You remember back when we were studying Philippians, that wonderful verse in chapter one, right? He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When God is really at work in a person's life, you say you're not lost, that you're his child. It's a theological doctrine. That being said, then we pivot to assurance. You see, assurance then is a gift to the believer from God that we're his as evidenced by the fruit in our lives. So we could think here of something like Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, right? God's Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit to tell us that we're children of God. In other words, the believer, as he or she lives out the calling of Christ in their life, has an overwhelming confidence that they belong to Jesus, and it's evident by how they obey the Lord and live it out. You know, you're thinking, well, I'm not ready for all this doctrine in the morning. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can do this week. There's no place to understand these better than in all the, the classic confessions that came out of the 16th and 17th centuries, out of the Protestant Reformation. A lot of people writing very good theology. 
we follow one of those, the Baptist Confession of 1689. It's the Westminster Standards uh, reworked for Baptists. And in Articles 17 and 18, 17 is the perseverance of the saints, and 18 is assurance. And they will unpack this, say, yes, once a person is a Christian, God never lets them go. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. You can't lose your salvation. But don't be assuring the people when they're not genuinely converted, that the assurance comes as a gift from God and is evident in how we live our lives. I guess to say, okay, you've not been following up to this point. Here's what I'm driving at. If we decouple, that is, separate assurance from real discipleship, then we're not driving at what Christ really calls us to. But if we say, well, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm sure of it, but we never take the other say, well, am I really following Jesus? Am I really living for him? And you can see now, to go back to the parable, why these things relate, right? You have all these categories, three categories out of the four, that fall short of true discipleship. They're those who probably you say, well, yeah, you know, I've heard that stuff, and I you know, think I'm a... But it stops short of what Christ really wants, because what he calls us to is to be those who really reproduce, who think about what he says beyond the 25 minutes on Sunday morning, and surrender to him, and that there's real fruit in our lives. So I hope that's been profitable for you. Yes, there's a perseverance of the saints. Yes, there's an assurance of salvation. The perseverance of the saints is anchored in the character of God, and the assurance comes to the real believer as we live out our faith and obey and work it out in fear and in trembling. Okay, that being said, let's now look at these parables and how, or this parable, and how these soils, this different earth, corresponds to how people hear, right? That there are four ways that we could say the proclamation of Jesus falls on the ears of those who are listening. And the first is that that falls this seed. And what is the seed? It is uh, the message, the good news of Jesus, that God put forth his only begotten son who would go to the cross for us, that God is at work in Jesus. He's the only way to salvation. We're to surrender to him. Say that's the proclamation of the good news. Now, some hear that, we're told, And that message is as if seed falls on a path and a bird immediately takes it up and the person has no chance of ever really hearing it at all. Now you say this is attributed in our parable to who? The devil. I know what you're thinking. You say, you know, it's it's Mother's Day. Does that guy really have to talk about the devil? I mean, you know, the Jesus stuff's hard enough, but not the devil. You say, "I, I actually have no problem believing in the devil. Say, not the little person running around with the trident, because why? What is the primary work of Satan every time he appears in Scripture? He tries to prevent the people from surrendering to Jesus. Satan hates Jesus. So every time you say, well, you hear, you know, Jesus, and and someone said, well, that's the last thing I need. In today's complicated world, you don't understand my real responsibilities. Surrendering to that Galilean carpenter is really the last thing I need to do with my life. I'll have none of it. Say, if that's the primary work of the devil, why? How successful he's been. You ever glance at Western Europe? Say, once a place where there was wider acceptance of Jesus, now not so much. Get you mocked all the time I've spent on college campuses, and you look at the old motto kind of dusted there on the sandstone. You say, this university was founded to be a place that honors Christ. You say, now the one thing that will get you in a lot of trouble is talking about Jesus on a college campus. You say, I have no problem that the devil is alive and well, and has got a whole lot of people thinking, the last thing I need is Jesus. Jesus. 
and a real contempt comes up in the heart. And there's no chance of that kind of person really hearing. Yeah, they'll hear, but they're not really hearing. The seed falls on the path, no chance. You say, if you compare it to somebody listening to a sermon, you might say something like how, you know, that saying, in one ear, out the other. Say, I heard the proclamation, (laughs) that's not what I need. Because the devil has prevented them from surrendering to Christ. The second category, right, that here again, the proclamation of Jesus goes out, and where does this seed fall? This seed falls, and drawing on verse 13 here, right, these are the ones that falls on the rock. They hear the word and receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and then the time of testing fall away. Say, what a wonderful image. Say, there's a lot of people in this category too, aren't there? So there's a great emotional response. You know, a lot of people now, they don't stay focused on one thing. You know, my generation, you dart, you have their attention for about 30 seconds. And at some point in going around to various things, well, I'm sure Christianity is going to be one of the things that kind of catches their fancy. You say, oh, you know, isn't this great? This is the newest thing. But the second, there's a little bit of pushback. Oh, I have to serve in the church? Oh, That's what Jesus says, that kind of view. Well, that's not going to be very popular. That's going to cost me. Say those kinds of things and say, well, no, no, thanks. This is not really what I want. It's not what I signed up for. You see, I wanted all all the emotional stuff. And we love all the pastors that try to get an emotional response out of people. Say, but when the real pressure comes, the stuff of Jesus is left to the side. And say, I want all of you to be thinking, you know, as a young clergyman, you have to posture yourself in the church for what is ahead. You will get no social points for coming to a church like this. I think we should all be very clear about that. You think attending a night, you know, church is going to help you on city council or win friends or you're going to be a nice Christian gentleman. You say, I don't think that's the way things are going. Because here, we actually think Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. And it's way more important to honor him and obey him than it is your own whims or the whims of the culture and the government. And this is going to be a very costly position indeed. And you know this language of roots, I think, is very good. You say, we all have seen the tumbleweed, or you think about some kind of plant that has very shallow roots. You rip it out. You just put your hand down and rip it out. Verse, say, an oak that has a rather elaborate root system. See, that's what Jesus is going on about here. Some hear the words. You know, Pat, preacher's pretty good. You know, this is exciting. I get to meet all these new people. But the second it really comes to it, there's no roots. They shrivel up and withered away they go. Verse, those who say, you know what? There's a deep, elaborate root structure that taps into the lordship of Christ. And when the tides of the culture come and the difficult things come, you say, we're anchored deep and we really believe this stuff. That's what Jesus is after here. So group one, in ear, out the other ear. The other people are kind of in it to be fashionable, but not really surrender to Jesus. How about category three? Very formidable. You say this one too. You say this one even, you know, say we, we really wrestle with this as Christians, don't we? Category three, this is the one that, falls among the thorns, and they're the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, 
and their fruit doesn't mature. You say, what a wonderful concept of the weeds choking them out. You know how weeds work, don't you? You say, well, weeds uh, suck all the nutrients from the otherwise healthy grass and the healthy plants, so they're in competition. You say, there's nothing wrong, actually, with uh, the pleasures of the world. Say, God designed us to enjoy his creation, and we do have real cares in the world. Some of us have aging parents that we're to look out for, and we have children to look out for. You say, that's not the problem. What happens is when we live for those things, rather than for the Lord Jesus. You know, this is the one who's sitting here today and saying, you know, I can't believe we're actually just like reading this old agrarian little illustration from the Bible. Doesn't this guy understand I have real responsibilities in the world? Like I've got a family and I've got a business. You know, come on, unpack the nugget that helps me get a little bit further in life. You say that kind of mentality, right? That this is just a giant waste of time And I've got to get on with what life is really about, which is all the other stuff I have going on. And how very easy we slip into that. I know I do. But it's going to choke out our faith. What Jesus is after, right, is not that that falls on the path, in ear one out the other ear, not those that receive it for a time, not those who actually love other things more, but those who say, you know what? This is the most important thing in the world. The message of Jesus And I'm going to build my life on this message of Jesus. And I want those roots to grow deep. And I'm going to live for him. And I want the kingdom to be multiplied through my ministry. I want to do everything because he's really the king. And at the end of the day, he's the one who matters and no one else. See, friends, this parable presses some questions upon us, doesn't it? Ask me, you know, does pressure from non-believers crush my faith? Yeah, there's a real tendency to that. Why? Because I'm a man pleaser. I like people to like me. And it's going to run up against that. I've got some thinking to do. Do I like money and stuff? And am I more inclined to devote my life to money and stuff than I am to sharing the good news of Jesus with a non-believing friend? Yeah, I am inclined to do that. Am I interested in the pleasures of the flesh? Yeah, you, you, you bet I am. You know, say, well, what's going to happen? Say, I must have this parable in mind to say, Lord, make my heart tender. May I be that kind of receptive earth. Let the one who have ears to hear, hear. We've all heard it. Who really hears it? You know, I'm not proud of this, but if I could unpack a story, you say, I do a lot of reading around the house, various publications, you know, book reviews, essays, all kinds of things. So it happens often. My wife would be able to tell you how often, but I'm often reading around the house. She's giving me some important instructions about schedule. I hear, but I don't really hear. You see, that's what Jesus is getting at here. We all are listening. But is the word of Christ penetrating deeply, and are we superficial hearers? So that's the four responses. We want to be that fourth soil in that last group. Now, the most challenging point for last, right, really verse 10. Verse 10 is confusing, I think, if you're not really thinking about this. So when the disciples asked him, right, Jesus explains this one very plainly to us, as I've just unpacked. But verse 9, right, the disciples asked him, say, you know, why do you talk in parables? What does this parable mean? They're asking, you would expect Jesus to say what? You would expect him to say something like this. I use these little illustrations about farming because I need to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf so that as many people as possible understand me. That's what you would expect him to say. But that's not what he says. Verse 10. To you, my disciples, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they're in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus speaks in parables to draw a line 
down the middle of the congregation, so to speak. Now, this is where it's so hard for our coddled American mind to get our mind around this. Jesus preaches to create a crisis of decision. Every time he opens his mouth, it's not as if you say, we've come to see the preacher as the great entertainer, you know, like the song of Billy Joel. You know, I am the entertainer. You know, get him up there and let's see the dog and pony show. We're going to, you know, kind of passively listen to this guy. Hope we get one kind of nugget. Verse, every time Jesus speaks, there's something very important on the line. And there's no room for neutrality. You remember last week? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, if I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness, I've got a real choice to make. Is it Jesus is the one who forgives my sin or he doesn't? I can't kind of waffle in the middle. Say every time Jesus preaches, he preaches to judge. And what happens is some of us, we harden our hearts and we say, I don't want that, Jesus. I really want to do my own thing. And the harder and harder and harder we become, you say, the more these parables are nonsense to us. Verse the one who finally says, you know, it's broken through. I see I can't do it on my own that I need Jesus, and we open up our hearts, our, the tenderizing of the heart to receive the word, and it can fall on good soil. You see, that's what we're driving at here, that we have to work to hear it. See, friends, I'll, before I invite the team up, you want to ask yourself what kind of hearer you are, where you're at in this parable, and I pray that no one in here Really, all of us would work, right, to think, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to be in that fourth soil, to really respond to Jesus. Closing illustration, you know, one of my great heroes is George Whitfield, uh, the great uh, British evangelist. Uh, just God used him in, in a, such a powerful way, and he preached to very, very large crowds. And one of those who was very intrigued by Whitfield, the man, and his preaching was none other than Ben Franklin, the great uh, founding father and, and a t- true, a great intellectual hero. Let's say Franklin uh, cast a long shadow, didn't he? And, and uh, Franklin loved Whitfield. They had a friendship for a long time. Uh, but this is why I relate the story. This is Franklin after Whitfield's passing. I knew Whitfield intimately upwards of 30 years. His integrity, disinterestedness, and indefatigable zeal in prosecuting every good work, I've never seen it equaled, and I'll never see it excelled. But here's the sad line later. Mr. Whitfield used to pray for my conversion, but he never had the satisfaction of believing that his prayers were heard. Say, Franklin is a man I very much admire, a towering intellect. He was drawn to Whitfield the preacher and quite frankly, I think, drawn to the message that Whitfield had. He heard a lot of his preaching for 30 years, but he stopped short of surrendering his life to Christ. Say, some in the room today, you're like Franklin. You hear all this stuff? but it's not really gone down deep inside. You say, today's the day. You say, Lord, I surrender to your gospel proclamation. I'm done playing games. I don't want to live for the world, and I'm done you know, giving in to the, you know, the, the whims of the culture. What I really want, Lord, is for you to come into my life. I surrender to you. Use my life any way you see fit. I pray you do that today and not be like Franklin, 
and not respond all those years. Others of us, you say, yeah, we're Christians. We're in this fight together, aren't we, right? So you read those confessions this week, say, yes, we struggle and we fight and we pray and we build each other up. We work out what God is working in. We absolutely do that so that we can have a real assurance of our salvation and so that we can multiply a hundredfold so that Christ may be honored. That's the kind of church we wanna be, a fourth soil kind of church. I'll invite Jim and the team back up. Father, thank you very much for this word. Father, I'm tempted by these same old things to not really listen to your word, pay attention to it, to allow the, really my reputation to drive things or to please other people, or Lord, that I'd rather each week kind of live for myself and the pleasures and the stuff of this world, oftentimes more than I want to please you. Help, help us, Lord. Help us to be those who really hear, who really respond. Lord, help our roots to grow deep as we look down into, out into the future to say, Lord, it's coming. Help our roots to be deep. We want none to be lost. Raise us up into those strong trees. May there be much fruit in our congregation. May Jesus be lifted high. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and continue worshiping our great God, Lord Jesus, today. Sing this with us. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us till the end? The love of Christ on which we
we sing. Christ, He lives. Christ, He lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with Him. Then we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed.
joy through the ages to sing of His love for me. Sing it how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Just our voices singing. shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my Savior's love for me and as for that in the good soil they are those who hearing the word Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Maybe we'd be that people to bear fruit for the Lord Jesus with great patience. Now unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence, faultless and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, honor, dominion, and authority through all the ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Ladies, please be sure to grab a succulent. So, shallow root system, though. Jesus.